He was thrown into a cistern, an ancient big pit. His name was Jeremiah. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. You know, an Ethiopian heard this and he just had compassion on him. Now we'll talk about that all coming your way as we continue to study Jeremiah. It's very, very interesting. Corey, what's going on? I'm gonna be focusing in on some of the aftermath that happened in Judah directly after the Babylonian invasion and exile. Ryan? Today, I'm looking at the life of the man who we read a lot about in the Bible, the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, yes, one of my favorites. Okay, Janice, what'd you do? Today, faith persevering in trial. All right, very good. Take your Bible out. That's the most important book ever. And then get your Bible guide. If you don't have one, we'll tell you how to get one later on. And let's turn and read what God said to us. Jeremiah 38, verses 7 through 16. Now Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs, who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon. When the king was sitting at the gate of Benjamin, Ebed-Melech went out of the king's house and spoke to the king, saying, My lord the king, These men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon, and he is likely to die from hunger in the place where he is, for there is no more bread in the city. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, saying, Take from here thirty men with you, and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he dies." So Ebed-Melech took the men with him and went into the house of the king under the treasury and took from there old clothes and old rags and let them down by ropes into the dungeon to Jeremiah. Then Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian said to Jeremiah, Please, put these old clothes and rags under your armpits under the ropes. And Jeremiah did so. So they pulled Jeremiah up with ropes and lifted him out of the dungeon. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. Then Zedekiah the king sent and had Jeremiah the prophet brought to him at the third entrance of the house of the Lord. And the king said to Jeremiah, I will ask you something. Hide nothing from me. Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, If I declare it to you, will you not surely put me to death? And if I give you advice, you will not listen to me. So Zedekiah the king swore secretly to Jeremiah, saying, As the Lord lives, who made our very souls, I will not put you to death, nor will I give you into the hand of these men who seek your life. Jeremiah chapter 38 Verses 7 through 16. Today we read Jeremiah 38, Jeremiah 39, and Jeremiah 43 chapters from the book of Jeremiah. As we encroach on the end of his book, it becomes very interesting. You know, when something is true and right, it is extremely valuable. And there are times when the truth will 
actually cost us. We tend to think that we'll enjoy life more if we can do what we want, when and how we want. But we need to ask ourselves, what is right to do in our lives? The decision we make directly impacts ourselves and others. Sin is a horrible thing. It is just too easy to put the truth away when it feels like it will suit us better. Now, Jeremiah is often called the weeping prophet because he cries much over God's people who were living for themselves. They were choosing to ignore commands of God and the covenant they had made with him. Living for God requires his people to modify their behavior, to turn away from sin, to stop hurting those around them and consider the real needs of others. God's people are called on this earth to share the healing and the help of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not here to serve ourselves first and then live out our best life now. Jeremiah 38 brings us a situation where the prophet pays the cost for speaking God's truth. It shows us how God provides Jeremiah's rescue from an unlikely source. This is a fascinating scripture today. And as we read it, Think about the truth cost. Jeremiah 38, 7 to 16. Father, I pray today, as we look at this scripture, we've already read it, but as we look at it carefully now and focus in on it, as your people did around 500 BC, that you would help us, O oh God, to hear what you're saying. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we all said together, amen and amen. That means make it so. Amen means make it so. All right, so we're going to study the word of God. This is interesting. Let us look at chapter 38. Let's begin with verse seven. Here is what the Bible says. Now, Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon. Essentially, that's a death sentence, okay? When the king was sitting at the gate of Benjamin, Ebed-Melech went out to the king's house and spoke to the king, saying, My lord, the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon, and he is likely to die from hunger in that place where he is. For there is no more bread in the city. Well, then the king commanded... Ebed-Melech to the Ethiopian, saying, Take from here 30 men with you and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he dies. Now, this is absolutely interesting. Look at this. An Ethiopian felt compassion, not even an Israelite. An Ethiopian felt compassion for Jeremiah the Israelite prophet who had been tossed into a rotting cistern. And there are times when we respond differently because of our God-given compassion. Compassion is a wonderful thing. And Jeremiah paid much for speaking the truth. One of them was the king said, get him out of my sight. They threw him into the cistern, which is guaranteed death. Well, the Ethiopian goes and gets him out. I find that fascinating because he felt compassion. God stirred the Ethiopian 
not even his own people. That's amazing that God does this. And you know what? We're going to get to this when Jesus Christ tells the story about the Good Samaritan, but never because the Samaritan was also somebody not of Israel. Very interesting. Okay, Jeremiah 38, verse 11 says, So Ebed-Melech took the men with him and went into the house of the king under the treasury and took from there old clothes and old rags and let them down by the ropes into the dungeon of Jeremiah, to Jeremiah. Then Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, said to Jeremiah, Please put these old clothes and rags under your armpits, under the ropes. And Jeremiah did so. So they pulled Jeremiah up with the ropes and lifted him out of the dungeon. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. Essentially, they saved his life. The Lord rescues Jeremiah's life through an Ethiopian eunuch. First of all, he's an Ethiopian. Second of all, he's a eunuch. And see, God will use whoever responds to his compassion for those who serve him. We have a massive, massive famine going on right now in Africa. And think about this. All that time, there are plane loads of meat being flown over to sell in places where they don't have famine. See, that's man's system. God's system is different, beloved. God's system doesn't base itself on the present news. It bases itself on reality, the truth. Beloved, we need to pray and ask God to help us see reality. That's important. Now, that's what happened to Jeremiah. They were just going to let him die. But this eunuch, who was an Ethiopian, he said, wait a minute. Wait a minute, king. Wait. And he talks to the king. And he says, we need to get this guy rescued. All right, now watch this. 38 verse 14, fascinating. Then Zedekiah the king sent and had Jeremiah the prophet brought to him at the third entrance of the house of the Lord. And the king said to Jeremiah, I will ask you something, hide nothing from me. And Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, if I declare it to you, will you not surely put me to death? And if I give you advice, you will not listen to me. This is interesting. So Zedekiah the king swore secretly to Jeremiah, saying, As the Lord lives, who made our very souls, I will not put you to death, nor will I give you into the hand of these men who seek your life. This is fascinating. King Zedekiah realized that he did wrong in the sight of the Lord. You see, truth is real and does not move or change with our opinions. A lot of people say, well, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. No, truth is not objective. Our truth is not subjective. Truth is objective. And the objective truth about how life is, what we live in and the sin and everything here is in the Bible, which we've been reading. And let me tell you something that People can believe what they want, but it doesn't change the truth. It's kind of like gravity. Uh, you may not believe in gravity. So I can take you to the top of the studio here. And, uh, you know, you can ask to jump off the studio. When you jump off the studio, all the way down, you can believe there's no gravity until you hit the ground. All of a sudden, there's gravity. You see, beloved, whatever we believe will come to a crashing end. 
And when it comes to an end to truth, we will understand. My advice today, take Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, invite him into your heart as Lord, and things will change and you will be able to face the future. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. Today, we continue our journey through Jeremiah, and one of the men who is quite dominant in this time period, and whom Jeremiah mentions quite a few times, is the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. Now, he was the one who God used to carry off the Jews into exile, where they would spend the next 70 years. But Nebuchadnezzar had a major problem. Like a lot of world leaders in the past, and even in the present, he was extremely prideful. He thought all of his success was because of his own greatness. Well, he found out the hard way that he was dead wrong. Check it out. Nebuchadnezzar II, the crown prince of Babylon and his father's most trusted general, was in the midst of pursuing the Egyptians when he suddenly has to turn home to take over the throne. His father, King Nebuchadnezzar, had died. Before his death, however, Nebuchadnezzar had managed to establish an alliance with the Medes and Persians, a marriage between his son Nebuchadnezzar and a Median princess named Amethyst. Nebuchadnezzar ruled over Babylon from 605 to 562 BC, and it would be this king who God would use to wipe the Jewish nation off the map and deport its people to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also confiscated the sacred temple items, which was a gesture of religious dominance, meant to demonstrate to the conquered Judeans that their god was too weak to save them from defeat. In that day, to conquer a nation was to conquer its gods. However, this extremely arrogant king would soon learn that the god of the Judeans was not a god of wood or stone, but the living god of heaven, and that it was he who was behind the rising and falling of empires. God would first illustrate this to Nebuchadnezzar through a dream, which only a young Jewish captive and prophet of God named Daniel could interpret. Daniel explained that God was revealing to the king the future kingdoms of the world. The implication, of course, was that Babylon, though great, would eventually fall. The king, after witnessing this divine foretelling through Daniel, praises the Judean God, proclaiming him the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets. Though this was the first time Nebuchadnezzar met the one true God, it would not be the last. Some years later, he foolishly erected a giant golden statue and demanded that the people worship the image. When all but three God-fearing Jews named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse, Nebuchadnezzar throws them into a fiery furnace to be burned alive. But their god delivers them. The king is astonished not only because the men are not burning, but because now there are four men in the fire. And the form of the fourth, says Nebuchadnezzar, is like the Son of God. For seeing God himself and the deliverance of the three men, Nebuchadnezzar for a second time praises the living God. Despite witnessing the power of God these two times, Nebuchadnezzar still had not learned that it was God behind his greatness. Therefore, in a moment of proud boast, the living God takes both Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom and his mind for a time. Indeed, for seven years he becomes like an animal eating grass like an ox, and having hair like eagle's feathers, and nails like bird claws. 
but at the end of the seven years, he is fully restored, but now as a totally converted man, praising and honoring the God of heaven. His last recorded words in the book of Daniel are, those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. Those who walk in pride, God is able to put down. Wow, what a stunning confession from this pagan king. And you know, we would do well to heed that warning. You know, one of the most prevalent things we see in the world today is human pride. People are proud of their sins and even revel in it. They enjoy rebelling against God's clear commands. Unfortunately, if they continue on that road, then God has appointed a day when he will, as Nebuchadnezzar said, put them down, which is when he will unleash his wrath on the ungodly. But, and this is a big but, if they turn to the Lord in this period of grace, and are sorrowful for their sin and ask for God's forgiveness purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, then they will live. Look, it's really simple. You can either live God's way or your way, but only God's way leads to life. Now, if you're living in rebellion against God, I beg and implore you to come to the Lord today because none of us know how long we have left. It's like Isaiah says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. And I would encourage you to do the same, uh, to make sure that you make your heart right before God. How do you do that? You just simply say, Lord Jesus, I, I know I'm wrong. I do, and I understand that I've got to change. And so Lord, help me, help me in my heart. And he will, first of all, he'll say, he'll bring his Holy Spirit to you and you'll realize that sin is there. So you just confess your sin and then you give your sin to the Lord and the Lord changes you through the power of his Holy Spirit. Very, very important. Thank you, Ryan. Corey? Okay, I wanna focus on Jeremiah chapter 40 today. So this chapter is all about the aftermath of what happened in the land of Judah after the Babylonian invasion and destruction had already come, after the Babylonians had taken exiles and had left the land. So we're told that uh, the Babylonians took one of the old Judean officials who was named Gedaliah and they made him the governor of Judah, which was now a Babylonian territory. So he was essentially a client king, which meant that it was his job as governor to try to keep the economy going, to try to keep the society going, to report back to Babylon and just to try to keep everything moving. Uh, and so it's really interesting because actually we, we do have a seal that dates from this time period, um, actually an impression from a signet seal that says Gedaliah, servant of the king. So this could be uh, Gedaliah's signet seal before he became governor. It's really, really interesting. But I want to focus today on someone named Baalis or Baalis that shows up in Jeremiah chapter 40. He is a king of the Ammonites and he has an assassination plot to get rid of Gedaliah. Check it out. Once he had effectively subdued Judah and destroyed the city of Jerusalem in 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, the formidable king of Babylon, then set up a man named Gedaliah as governor of Judah, a role designed to replace the kingship of Jerusalem. This governor, however, would not last long. Jeremiah chapters 40 and 41 reveal an assassination plot backed by Baalis, king of the Ammonites a plot that was successful in its goal of killing the governor and his officials. 
but unsuccessful in terms of taking booty. King Baalis and his instrument of assassination, a man named Ishmael, survived. But they lost all of their captives in a battle with the Judeans. The survivors of this disaster were then left to deal with their fear of any sort of punitive response from Babylon. The Ammonites appear often in the Old Testament of the Bible, which is where much of our current information about them comes from. Their territory was located in what is today modern Jordan. Two archaeological discoveries in this region have added to our knowledge not only of the Ammonites in general, but in this biblical King Baalis. The first artifact was a bulla, a clay impression of a signet seal once used to sign and secure a written document. Once read, this seal impression was found to have belonged to an Ammonite royal official about the same time as the destruction of Jerusalem by Babylon. The seal read, belonging to Milcom, servant of Baalis. The second discovery was of a signet seal itself. Measuring a scant half inch in diameter and made of brown stone, its partially preserved surface still contained the name of its owner, Baalis, King of the Ammonites. Once fully reconstructed using contemporary documents for comparison, archaeologists settled on a final reading of Belonging to Baalis, King of the Sons of Ammon. A really interesting time in Judah's history is this immediate aftermath. And, you know, also ever intriguingly from, you know, from historians and archaeologists, we get a lot of these pieces of the puzzle coming into us to, to, to help us piece together the lives of some of these individuals that were here in Judah and, and mentioned by name in Jeremiah chapter 40. Very interesting, Corey. Thank you very much for that report. Janice? Yes, Faith persevering in trial. You know, we see Jeremiah, God bless Jeremiah, this man I'm looking forward to meeting in heaven one day. We see that Jeremiah, because he's preaching the words of God and people didn't want to hear it, he was thrown into the dungeon or to a cistern. And we get down to the verse here that in verse six, and it says, and they let Jeremiah down with ropes and in the dungeon, there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sank in the mire. Now, Jeremiah loved God, and he knew what God wanted him and had called him to do. But Jeremiah would have no way of knowing that God would send Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, uh, to his defense to the king and would rescue, rescue him out of that mire. When I read that line, so Jeremiah sank in the mire, it reminded me of a psalm of David. And I want to read that today uh, with the rest of the time that I have for those of you out there who feel as though you are sinking or stuck in the mire of life circumstance. If you are a follower of God, if you come to God daily in your life, we go through different seasons, but we always know that God is our deliverer. God is our protector. God is our refuge and strength. Listen to this psalm that David wrote, faith persevering in trial. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. Think about Jeremiah in the dungeon. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. 
He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I were to declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered." Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips. O Lord, you yourself know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. Do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I'm not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who seek to destroy my life. Let them be driven backward and brought to dishonor who wish me evil. Let them be confounded because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Today we need to pray, and as we do so, we have followed up the prayers that we've already listed on the screen. But let's pray together, you and I. Father, I pray today that you would help us to know who you are. And if people are listening, don't know you, come into our lives, forgive us of our sin. We know you died on the cross and rose again, and we need you in our life. Give us a new life. Give us your Holy Spirit and help us to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen.